welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. Why don't you open your Bibles up today to Joshua chapter 1. Great to have you here today. I don't know about you, I'm sure you're the same as me, because you're great. But I want to access everything that God has for my life, all his blessing, his favor. I want to achieve his assignment for my life. Anybody else here like that? It's good. And so there are a couple of things that will stop that happening. My inability to be steadfast in that which God's called me to do. But the second thing will be wherever there's deception in my life. And I'm not thinking the way God thinks. And I'm mindful that every time we come and we sit under the word of God, that God's wanting to pull down deception in our life, expose it and replace it with truth. So how many people today have deception in their life? So we're praying today that as I preach, the spirit of truth is going to come. It's going to begin to pierce your heart, challenge the way you think, cause you to embrace the greatness of God's call for your life. Because I'm convinced that in this place today are people that God has designed to change the world. Did you hear that? That's not just some throwaway line. There are people here today that God has called to change the world, to change our city, to obtain great wealth great wisdom, great breakthrough. And Joshua 1 is a great book. As we begin to talk about how we go about doing that, and I want to talk to you today about embracing the spirit of a pioneer. Have you got that? Joshua 1 verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and said, Moses... My servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Did you see this? That God speaks to Joshua and says, Moses, my servant is dead. I'm sure Joshua knew that. I'm sure he didn't wonder why Moses hadn't been returning his text, he hadn't seen him on Facebook recently. There hadn't been a whole lot of activity going on. There hadn't been much smoke coming from Moses' house. There were groceries piled up the front door. The bin hadn't been emptied. Now Joshua knew that Moses was dead. And so why would God say to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead? It's like, yes, we know. We all know that. But see, I think that, that we're all like this, that when God begins to move things that were and bring in new seasons... There's a reluctance in our heart to let go of that which God is no longer in. You know, you see that with people that grieve when they lose someone close to their heart and they set up monuments and shrines and and all sorts of things to, to engage with the memories of the past rather than to step into that which God has for them now. And so... What God is wanting to do right now in the church is for us to embrace this spirit of a pioneer. Because I'm about to show you today that what God is doing today is so different to what he did yesterday. He's redefining the church. And the difficult thing is that when you're in the middle of a season shift, it's hard to know where you are. You hear the word transition and shifting and God's doing a new thing. But when you're caught up in it, it looks like nothing is changing. Well, I've been on the planet now for 50 years. It's hard to imagine. It's hard for me to imagine. But I can tell you that church has changed. God is doing something new. What was the mindsets of 30 years ago are so different to the mindsets today, both good and bad. But God is doing a new, there's a new expression of the kingdom of God on the planet. 
But the problem for many people is that they have a hard time processing change, in shifting their alignment so they're still behaving and having habits set up that are bringing back to life that which God is no longer in. So they're thinking the same way. They're expecting the same bad results. But God's doing a new thing. And it's time for a shift, time for change. As you read through this story of Moses and Joshua, there are... Three distinct generations. There's the generation of Egypt, which is what I've talked about before is the relevant church. It's the church that prefers the flesh rather than the spirit. They're polished, people pleasers, political and powerless. And God loves his church. But you and I know that, that there has been a season in the church where where the church has embraced a relevant gospel, but there's been no power in it. It's polished, but it's not raw with power. And so God's, there's been a stirring, and we've seen that. As you look at church right around the world, there's a, there's a shift into encountering the power of God. The, uh, Bethel has risen up, Bethel Church. And, and partly because the people are saying... It's no longer enough just to come to church, hear a nice little sermon, sing a few songs, but there's no power encounter in my heart. I need to connect with God. Whereas I may as well just join the Rotary Club. If it's just good works. But see, we're saying we want the raw power of God. Now, I grew up in the raw power of God. Seeing people float off floors, people delivered, set free, all sorts of crazy things. And there's been a new hunger because we're no longer satisfied with the relevant church. Then that generation came out of Egypt and went into the wilderness. They embraced the miracle lifestyle, manna, water from rocks, river church, revival church, encounter church, gold dust church, all these amazing things. We call it the relevant church, the revival church. They love encounters with God, but they've got no vision to change a nation, to change cities. They don't really have a vision for the seven mountains of society, of, of getting God's people so activated that they begin to change their world. They're, they're caught up in their encounter, and we need to encounter God. Don't misunderstand me. There's a place that we always need to be having fresh oil in our life, but there's a lack of vision as to why God is encountering our hearts. He's encountering our hearts because he's got a passion for his kingdom to come over all our city, in every sector of society, in fashion, in business, in government, everywhere, his kingdom is coming. Are you hearing me? So God's going to speak to Joshua and say, that's dead, that's dead, and this is now where I'm moving. Pioneers know that. Pioneers are always looking to where God is going. The Relevant Church, Revival Church, and the Restoration Church. And this is what God's calling Joshua to, to cross over and take possession of the land. Everything that Jesus died for on the cross, he redeemed the mandate that Adam lost, which was to take dominion over all the earth, to bring the kingdom to planet earth. Jesus redeemed it at the cross, and now our assignment is to restore all the broken inheritances, everything that Jesus died for, we're saying, we want it now. Do you agree? So leading up to this moment, it's been a, in Joshua's life, it's been an incredible time of transition. Transition for all of us, we've talked about that a lot. It's a time of testing and preparation. It's like it'll never, we feel like it never will end, that we're being tested and prodded. And this is what even happened to Adam, that... Before Adam was, uh, had the assignment to rule over all the earth and to leave the garden and extend the kingdom, first God needed to see whether he could rule over himself. Are you hearing me? So before we're out there uh, taking the promised land, we've been through this time of transition where God has been working deep within our hearts. He's been prodding and poking, working on areas of the soul making sure that our will is aligned to his will. 
making sure that we're ready to be obedient, that he is truly Lord of our life. Because when we get into the promised land, we're going to face seven nations mightier and greater than ours. And I tell you, my friend, if you have trouble giving one-tenth of your income to the Lord's work, you will never be able to handle the wealth that is about to come into the kingdom. I knew I'd get an amen out of that. See, it's like adding jet fuel to a Morris Minor. We're saying, God, we want it. We want the power of God to change our city. And God's saying, really? You really want that? You really want me to elevate you into a place of power? A, a place where you are the head and not the tail? Do you really want me to put rocket fuel in your Morris Minor? So he's saying to Joshua, come on, come on. You're in a time of transition. I am, you're leaving the past behind. You're about to enter into this amazing promised land. Isn't that exciting? But God has it that whenever one generation is dying, that he's raising up at the very same time pioneers. Did you hear me? Pioneers are the spies that go out and they look for the promised land. Whenever there's a shift, a transition happening, you can be sure that God's got individuals. He's got families. He's got businesses. He's got churches. He's got even cities and nations that will pioneer the way. And I happen to think today that you are that pioneer. Say that over yourself. I think I'm a pioneer. So in Joshua 2, just going, skipping ahead for a second, Joshua sends out spies to, to report and to begin to see what God is about to do. If you're taking notes, notice this, that spies are pioneers who are able to go out into the future and see what the masses cannot see because of their commitment to the present. Did you hear that? Spies are pioneers who are able to go out and to investigate and see into the future and see what the masses cannot see because they have a commitment to the present. It, see, so much of the church is locked in in the here and now, locked in on a nice lifestyle, making sure that all the ducks line up and they're so comfortable. And that's why I said to you last week, how many people are excited about Jesus returning and about 5% said yes. Why? Because so much of the church is locked in and comfortable. Don't rock my life. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. I've got holidays planned. And I'm thinking, really? We're talking about heaven. We're talking about heaven now. And so we get so comfortable with our present. But spies have this ability to let go of the present because they see what God is about to do. Now, if you're, if you're wanting to have friends and be around people that are comfortable with the present, you'll never be a spy or a pioneer. So they're always looking, God, what is it that you're about to do? Spies are also sent out to see what the future holds. And then they return to the people and they encourage them and say, you are well able to take the land. See, the problem is some spies and pioneers, they get grumpy with the people they've left behind. True forerunners go out and see what is possible and they come back to the status quo and say, come on! My job every week is to go where no man's gone before, to see into the future. God, what is it that you have for my people? What is it you want? How do you want to bless them? Where do you want to send them? And then I come back into reality and say, guess what? I've seen what's ahead and I reckon we can do it. I've seen the future and it looks bright. And the giants are way bigger than us. But guess what? We're not going in there in our natural ability. We're going into there with God's ability. And when God and the giants come face to face, it's no match. There's always a connection between spies, pioneers, and covenants. It's interesting as the spies go into the land, you see the number seven over and over again. When Elijah sends out his spy, his pioneer, his servant, to look for the cloud, the servant goes out seven times because spies have this inbuilt uh, understanding that 
God has made a covenant with us. He has promised us. He promised Abraham and to every descendant of Abraham that he would give us this land. There is a conviction in my heart that this city is going to roll over and say yes to Jesus. Is it in your heart? That's what spies have. They have a covenant conviction that God has to show up when we step out in faith. So verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. You have not because you asked not. You're walking in all the wrong places. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, see, God has not changed his mind. He didn't say, well, that generation, they flunked it, so... Let's go to plan. Let's just go to plan B, which is hang on till I come. He says, no, the plan I had for Moses with his people is the same plan I have for you, Joshua, with your people. And I want you to know today God has not changed his mind. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of his son. Verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. There is a territory that is marked out for me and for you. There is a land, there is a, 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 there is a boundary. See, to have dominion, you have to have boundaries. There has to be something that you say, this is mine. Do you have a territory? Do you have something where you've staked in the ground? It may be, it may be um, a place where you live. It could be, it could be a workplace. So, so we have a dominion, a territory. We have an assignment. And here he's saying to Joshua, I've got territory for you. I've got dominion for you. And it always stirs me heart, my heart because one of my favorite stories growing up was about the story of the pea patch and Shammah. Many of you know that story. His father was a deserter. His father's name was Aji, which means a deserter. When the, when the tough got going, he got, he got out. He, he, just, he would never stand and fight for a territory. Whenever it got too hard, he would quit. But Shammah had a little pea patch. And the Philistines came and he said, you know what? It may not be much, but it's my pea patch. And he stationed himself in the middle of the pea patch. No way out. Not on the edge, but in the middle. He says, if you want this pea patch, you're going to have to fight me. And I tell you, my friend, God has an assignment for your life. The very fact that you're here today is living proof that God has an assignment for you. The very fact that you're born is proof that there's an end. He knows the beginning from the end and he has something for you to accomplish. There is a pea patch that has your name on it. And when you begin to understand that, you say, I will have what God has given me. There's a conviction comes. Paul said, you know what? I'd like to be in heaven. But he said, it's more beneficial that I'm here with you. Why? Because he had an unfinished assignment. He had boundaries. He had a revelation of God's plan for his life. And when you get that conviction in your world, look out, devil. There is an assignment for my life. Every place that the sole of your feet treads, I'm going to give you. And I've got a passion for this city I walk around this city in my mind. I've told you before, when I pray, I imagine all the boundaries of this city. I go right around, right from the peninsula, right across to the airport, even to Lilydale. (laughs) Is that Melbourne? I think, yeah, Lilydale and all around. And I put my arms around it and I pull the city into my heart. Can you do that? Absolutely. And I begin to pray over my city because it's mine. It's my inheritance. That's worth fighting for. Joshua, I've given you this land. He's a pioneer. He begins to see all that God has given him is his. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river. Do you see that word as far as? I underlined that as far as. As far as, as far as, 
Think about those words, as far as. See, Joshua, not just here, but look, look up there. As far as there, I've given you. Can you feel in those words that God is stretching him? He's saying, not just there, not just believing that there'll be enough money for my family to get by this week, but as far as, as far as, as far as you can see, you know what, God has plans that are so much bigger than your plans. And that's why I talk about deception, because deception says God's plan is the wilderness plan, which is enough to get you by for a day. But he says, I've got plans that are as far as. Isaiah 55, 9 says that God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. He's thinking on a level that's so much bigger than my level. And so for me to, Amos 3, 3 says we can't walk together unless we're in agreement. So I've got to get his thoughts inside me and begin to think the way God thinks. God's thinking cities and nations. He's thinking 30, 60, 100, Deuteronomy 1, 11 says a thousandfold. We're thinking enough to get by for a week. We're thinking it'd be great to have $10 in the bank. We're thinking just a little bit of peace in the house. We're thinking one person saved. We're thinking a little bit of influence. He's saying as far as. God's not intimidated by the size of your dream. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We've been thinking a little bit, a little bit more is enough. God's thinking exceedingly abundantly. Above all that you could ask to think, 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, listen to these words. God is able to make all grace, how much? Abound to you. So that always, listen to the words, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good work. I'm exhausted just reading that. Can you see what? See, I've had a... I, I talk in my book about the power of imagination. And so when I pray, I engage my imagination with heaven because God loves to encounter us in our imagination. It's another story, another sermon. But as I engage with, with my heart, God then begins to come in and overlap his mind on my imagination. And he takes me to heaven and I've seen the storehouse. The, it's actually not a storehouse. It was around a like a like a bowl and it was so vast as the eye could see and so deep and it was full of jewels and gold and he said to me I could put my bucket in and I could fill it up and every time I filled it up it looked like nothing had changed and I took it over and I poured it in my my container I had this big like a pirate's chest and every time I filled it up I would look at him and he would say do you want a bigger chest and I'd say yes and he would give me a bigger chest and I would fill it up and I want you to know that, that it is an exceeding riches that we can access in the glory realm. He has no limitation. If he doesn't have it, he'll create it. He is the God of heaven and earth. And we're coming into this season where we're accessing more than we could ever imagine. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Moses is dead. Poverty is dead. Small-mindedness is dead. Scraping and saving is dead. No influence is dead. Criticism is dead. Politics is dead in the church. It's all dead because God's doing a new thing. And pioneers begin to see ahead. Oh, I know I've been mocked by friends and other people because they can't see what I can see. You look stupid. Why would you talk like that? Why would you make those decisions? Because you can't see what I can see. I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. It's about to rain. We thought partial victory, God thinks total victory. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 2.14. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. When people come into contact with us, the smell that we give off should be a smell of constant victory. So I say to you, limitless thoughts. Limitless thoughts. Our faith doesn't rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. 
Are you hearing? The power of God. Limitless thought as far as. And so I make it a, a thing in my life of constantly trying to stretch the way I think and feel because I realize the only limitation in my life is that which is in my mind. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could speak, ask, my language and what I'm thinking. I am the restriction. I am the restriction of the flow. It's like like a, a reservoir going into a tap and I've got a tiny little turn on the tap and there's a little drop coming out and I'm thinking, ah, this is God. This is all God is. No, it's just a little dimension, a little foretaste. You can turn the tap on and on. You can have as much as you want according to your faith. So be it to you. No, you, this is not something you try. You don't try God. You believe. You burn everything behind you and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will believe for great things to the day that we die. We will not live in unbelief. See, that's a problem with many people. They try. I'll give it a go. I'll quote the word for a day. I'll give the Lord a tithe for a day. I'll make him Lord of my life for a day. And if it doesn't work, enlarge, enlarge. Make a commitment today to enlarge the way you think. I challenge you today. I want to get in your face today in a nice way. Enlarge the way you think. I, I, I do care for people. But it really frustrates me when Christians make excuses. I don't like meeting new people. I don't like reading. It's like enlarge, enlarge, enlarge. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. That means that we need to get new thoughts, his thoughts. It means if it's not working now, change the way you think. Get new friends. Enlarge your circle. Expose yourself to greater dimensions. See, Daniel... And the three men were taken into Babylon, wasn't it? What did they do? They didn't eat the diet of the land. They feasted, and it's a picture of not working out of the soul, but they relied on a spirit encounter with God every day. But they learned all the things of the land. We've got to enlarge the way we think. We've got to expose it. If we're going to change a city, we've got to begin to discover what's in a city. We've got to see how the city thinks. We're going to enlarge everything. Peter J. Daniels is one of my heroes. And he's a man who was told by his, his uh, teacher, but before that even his doctors, they said he was, a, he was actually loopy. And when he went to see his teacher after that, she said, no, he's not, he's not actually mentally deranged. He's just... He's just lazy and silly. And so they, he, he never amounted to anything in school. But the day he got born again, I think it was about 26, something shifted. He began to discover that God had great plans for his life. And no matter what his limitations were, if he would work and partner with God, he could change the way he thinks. He bought three dictionaries, one for his bedroom, one for his toilet, and one for his car. And he read them day and night, night and day. He read over 2,000 autobiographies, and he began to think like God. There is no excuse as far as. You see, the problem is that we have to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And so God's speaking great thoughts. And I tell you this all the time. He is saying to you today, I believe in you. I have amazing plans. I want to prosper you. I want to do all these things. And it's filtered through the through the funnel of our soul of all the stuff that we've accumulated and by the time it gets to our conscious living level we've filtered out what God has said down to some small little pea and we said guess what God's spoken to me today really and what did he say he says we can get through another day where really God said I've called you to be an overcomer the head and not the tail. You say, but you don't, understand. you don't understand how old I am. Well, Joshua and Caleb weren't that young. Caleb said, give me this mountain. But he was 80, wasn't he? You don't understand about my education. God calls the foolish things to confound the wise. So no flesh would glory in its presence. You don't understand. No, I don't understand. 
But I know God does, and we now have the mind of Christ. There is no excuse. And so it's time for the church to leave the past behind. That way of thinking is finished. Moses is dead. Did you hear that? Moses is dead. That lifestyle is finished. You are now about to possess the inheritance of Christ. Now, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. As I was with this mighty man, Moses, I'm going to be with you, Joshua. I will not leave you or forsake you. I love this about God that for every person he calls and gives an assignment, he has promised to meet our needs. We have an assignment from heaven. And so we have an assurance that because God has sent us, he is going to equip us and resource us and give us all the provision that we need. You say, well, I don't have enough money. Well, doesn't the scripture say that, you know, when God sends us on our assignment not to take a money bag, not to take, you know, an extra coat, extra shoes. And so we read that and said, see, there you go. Whenever you serve the Lord, you'll have no money, no shoes, no clothes. See how the, see how the fleshly mind, the religious mind thinks? See, if you're going to take up your cross and serve Jesus, if you're going to enter into some sort of ministry for the Lord, it will cost you. You won't have much, but it'll be glorious. What a great representation of the king. People fight to come to our country. People travel overseas and risk their life because they've seen pictures of our country. They've heard stories of how good it is to live here. So too, you are a living representation of heaven. And people will look at you and say, I want what you've got. I don't know what it is about you, but if you serve a God that can do that in your life, I'm in, Charlie. No, that whole story wasn't about giving up shoes and clothes. He says, you know what? Don't you provide for it. Why? Because I'm going to provide for it. Whenever I give an assignment, there's provision. You won't have to worry all about it. You discover your assignment, you'll discover your provision. I will make sure you get it. And so he says here, I will be with you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And I'm discovering that the Lord said to me, when I take care of you, they will remember how you looked. Because every moment with God is first class. Did you hear that? Yeah. You know, well, I don't think that's true. Well, you're wrong. Every moment with God's first class. I'll prove it. Matthew 6. Remember, I've told you this before. Consider the lily. He says the lily... When it's arrayed, it has more glory than Solomon, the richest man on the earth, the wisest man on the earth. Everything that he owned, the lily on the, in the field, has more glory in that moment than Solomon. And the lily is up one day and burnt in the fire the next. It's a big deal for God to release his glory in a moment. And I believe that whatever comes out of the secret place... Whatever is led by the Spirit, God's glory comes upon and there's eternal value in that moment. See, I'm beginning to see that it's not what men think, it's what God thinks. Mary, she offered up the oil in, over Jesus' head and his feet. It was so costly and the disciples said, what a waste. But Jesus says, you don't understand anything about the kingdom. For every moment in the kingdom is first class and what she did will live on for eternity. Here's a thought. There's things that God's going to lead you to buy and to invest in and to do that for other people may seem a waste. But because it's led by the Spirit, it's going to release the glory of God over a city, over nations, and people may misunderstand. Jesus said that what Mary did will be remembered for all eternity. Whenever the gospel is preached, her act of devotion... We'll, be, we'll live on. There's much glory in moments. And God says, I'll take care of you. I will provide because every moment in the kingdom is first class. No man will be able to stand before you because as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And when God calls you, he provides. He says, be strong and very courageous. 
For you shall give this people possession, this is verse 6, of the land of which I swore to their fathers to give them. I want you to look at this verse. Be strong and courageous, very courageous for who? You. You shall give this people possession. I'll say that again. I don't know if you got that. Be strong and very courageous. Why? Because you, not God, you. Did you hear that? You will give this people possession of the land which I swore to your fathers. Oh, we want God to do everything. We're waiting for some miracle from heaven. But he says to Joshua, you be strong, man. You be courageous. You step out when I speak and you begin to possess the land. And I'm going to use you to give everyone around. You are going to unlock wealth and provision and destiny and inheritance in so many people around you. You are going to do it, my friend. The first Adam became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Not a life-taking but a life, not a life keeping, but a life giving spirit. See, the moment you got born again, the spirit of God came into your life in the fullness, the Godhead in his totality. You are filled with him. And he's saying, I have anointed you and I have equipped you to release inheritance to people around you. Do it. See, Jesus is not an example. He's not an example for us, but of us. When he came, he came to show us how we should be. Remember the little boy with the five loaves and two fishes, what wealth he had inside him. And when he released the wealth within him, the whole crowd was transformed. I want you to know it says here, you shall give. There's something inside you if you will step out in faith, God's going to change a nation or a city because his wealth is within you. You need to spend time, my friend, just beginning to meditate on the wealth and the authority and the anointing that is within you. You are not powerless. You are powerful. And there are resources within you that are going to unlock inheritances in people. It says, you will give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. When I read that, I thought, you know what? I am the key to unlocking people's destiny. There was a destiny that was sworn to these people's fathers that they now don't have. See, there are people that you know that because of their past, they've been ripped off. They're, in the family line, there are things stolen from them emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially. And he's saying, you know what? I'm going to use you to restore their inheritance. I'm going to so bless you that you're going to step into families and right the wrongs. You're going to bring justice. You're going to bring a word of wisdom that will heal families, restore marriages, bring wealth, open opportunities. I'm going to use you. So step out. Begin to step out. Begin to step out. Verse 70 says, Only be strong and courageous, that you may observe to do all that all according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded. Do not turn from the right hand or the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate in it day and night, that you will observe to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you, my friend, are going to have great success. Did you get that? See, and as I read that, I began to think, we give language to the thoughts of heaven. As we're going to possess the land, God's going to begin to speak to us. He's going to show us what he wants to do. And we're going to begin to prophesy as we walk into these new lands and bring the kingdom. See, the great thing about walking into this realm is what God primarily wants you to do is to hear his thoughts, to meditate on his thoughts and begin to speak what God is saying. Can you do that? Acts 2, it says it will come to pass that I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And one of the signs that his spirit has come to the church is we are going to begin to prophesy over our city, over our inheritance, over our neighborhood. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12 on the home stretch. 
It says, what we have received is not from the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit which is from God, that we might understand what God has freely given us. In other words, Paul is saying that as you walk into the promised land, I have put, God says, I put my spirit inside you. And he's going to show you what your inheritance looks, looks like. He's going to open your eyes as you walk into your inheritance. And he says in verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. In other words, God's going to begin to reveal to you everything since time began that he had in mind for you. He's going to begin to download as we wait upon the Lord and meditate upon him. He's going to show us what to do, what business transactions to make, what people to see, who to engage with, what street to walk down. He's going to lead us in this promised land. He's going to show us what giants to take on, in what order. He's going to show us all these things. And as he does that, he says, I'll reveal it to you. I'll conceive it. The Spirit of God will reveal it and you begin to declare it. I had a dream that I was standing right here and uh, there was a giant in our church in a meeting and Karen began to pray in tongues. She was standing next to me. And as she prayed in tongues, I lifted off the floor and I got eyeball to eyeball with this giant and I begin to interpret what she was saying in her tongues and I think the Lord was saying to me is that as we wait upon his spirit so her picture of praying in the spirit was as we wait upon the Lord there is going to come an understanding of what God is saying that will lift us up to eyeball every giant that we face and we will have a word from the Lord that will pull down every giant that's defied us. One of the major giants that Joshua faced when he walked into Canaan was the giant called Baal. It was the Canaanites' major god was Baal, which was lord over all finances. And as we walk into this promised land, God is going to give us understanding where we can look that sucker in the eyes and begin to declare the word of the Lord that's tied up resources that the church should have. There should be resources coming through us to bring justice and equality and lift up the poor and to help the needy. But there are people that are sitting on untold wealth. They are giants in the land that defy the church. And every time the church begins to rise up, they begin to manifest through media, through every uh, sphere of society and push us down in our box. But as we begin to wait on the Lord and pray in the Holy Ghost, he will begin to lift us up. So we eyeball that giant and we'll declare the word of the Lord and bring it down. And this is why it's so important that we give language to his thoughts. He's saying to Joshua, when you go into that promised land, I'm giving you the key to bringing down every giant, every obstacle that you will face. And this is the key. You meditate on the law and you begin to speak it out of your mouth. And for the new covenant person, he is saying, you pray in the Holy Ghost. You saturate yourself in the word of the Lord. And I'll begin to give you revelation. And there will come a time that that revelation will be released out of your mouth to people over circumstances and the giants will come down. For you are a pioneer. And my friend, pioneers understand the power of hearing the voice of God and releasing it so that people can come after them into clear land. Thank you, Jesus. Now, as we close, Joshua 3 tells us that after God spoke to Joshua, he assembled all the people for three days. They prepared themselves and they got ready to cross the Jordan. And the amazing thing about this story is that the Ark of the Covenant and the priests that held it were to go first. They're a picture of the anointing of the Spirit, but also of the work of Jesus. And they walked into the Jordan River. And the Bible says that they were to keep 2,000 cubics between the Ark of the Covenant and the people. And I want to suggest to you today that Jesus has gone before us. This battle is already won. And not only has he gone before us, but there's a clue here today that he's saying that there is a people coming 2,000 years after I leave. 
that are going to take the fullness of the promised land. There will be a Joshua generation with a pioneer spirit that will say, even though all the other generations have died in the wilderness, there will be a generation, God has promised it, that will be mighty. The sons of God will be revealed and they will know how to take down giants. They will know how to occupy that which belongs to the Lord. They will know how to possess the gates of the enemy. And Jesus has gone forward before us, the captain of this mighty army, 2,000 years before, full well knowing that there was a breed, you and I, following him 2,000 years later. And we're beginning to get the revelation of all that the kingdom means. We're beginning to discover how to hear from the voice of the Spirit and slay giants with the word of our mouth. There's the anointing of Elijah that is upon these people right now. They are the army of dread that are coming. And the enemy, like Joshua discovered, have heard that you and I are about to come. And they are fearful and afraid and terrified. And that's why there's been so much resistance because God's army are beginning to discover our calling at such a time that we are these people that are about to come through at the last hour. And it says the Jordan was flooded at this time. There was harvest time and it was flooded to the left and the right. And yet the ark comes and it parts it all the way back to Adam and all the way forward to the Dead Sea. From the beginning of Adam, the Dead Sea is the end. There is no outlet. It's a picture of the end. And Jesus parted it. And he's gone back to Adam and he's taken, he says, I'll have that mandate that you lost. I'll have that assignment of intimacy and provision and dominion. And I'll take that. And he's reached forward to the very future. And he's taken all that and he's pushed back all the works of the enemy. And he's saying, come on, my people. Come over to the promised land. It's all clear. I've made a way. So that's our invitation. To begin to see with eyes of faith. Moses is dead. And I felt God say this week that there are people in my church that still are acting like they're part of an old generation. And I'm about to do things and they are... They are stopping my move because they are thinking about all the times it failed in the past. I'm about to do a new thing. I'm about to change cities. And I say to the youth, you listen to me. Listen to me. It's not the same. I felt God say, tell the youth, tell everybody, it's not the same. It's not the same record. Moses is dead. He's dead. He's dead. Did you hear that? Moses is dead. And I'm leading you on a new journey. It's called the promised land. And in the promised land, there is the fullness of Christ. We will know what it means to walk in the fullness of his presence, of his fruit, of everything about him. But we'll also know what it means to walk in the fullness of dominion before he comes. He has promised it. And everything that Adam lost is being restored. Everything in the past and the future, God has redeemed. And he's saying, come on over. I don't know about you, but I want to be a pioneer. I want to be a pioneer. I want to lead the way. I want to say to people, guess what? Look what God has done. I can see there's so much more to take. I can see a city. Come and join with me. Come and see. And so as a pioneer church, it's our role. It's our, it's our requirement that we gather alongside people. And not condemn them that they're caught up in their, their world today, their present. But begin to speak to them and say, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen what can happen. You know, you talk to someone that's like, this, the lights are on, it's no one's home. But prod them. I've seen, I've seen that God's about to do a new thing. He's about to unload blessing like we've never seen before. He's about to work in miracle power. He's about to take down the giants that have defied the church for years. The giant of cancer, the giant of divorce, the giant of media. All these giants are coming down. And they'll go, you know what? I don't know about that. See, the first time, ten were evil, two were bad. Two were good. But the second time... Joshua sends out two, and they both come back with a good report. Two is the number of partnership. And Jesus has gone before us. 
and his churches are coming alongside. And we're going to walk hand in hand in this hour in agreement. Two is the number of agreement. We're going to come back. There's going to be agreement between heaven and earth. Heaven and earth are both going to say, we are well able. So it's your job as a pioneer to come back to the people and say, come on, make provision. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. Enlarge the way you think. Enlarge what you see because God's about to do a new thing. So I want to pray for you today. Father, I release a pioneer spirit on your people. And Lord, every area where there's been small thinking, demolish it now, Lord. Every Moses mindset that's based around survival, disappointment, failure, we just surrender to you you right now, Lord. Shatter those things. Lord, we give it a funeral, a burial, and we say that it's past. And we embrace the spirit of a pioneer. Open our eyes to see what you can do. Father, you are able to save by many and by few. For yours is the battle. And we go knowing that you have led the way. You have parted the Jordan and you've invited us. You've already won the battle, Lord, in Canaan. And it's ours now to possess. So, Father, I pray right now, release the pioneer spirit in your people. Cause them to see what you're doing. Open their eyes to see. Cause them to dream again. I ask this week, Lord, that there would come fresh revelation from your heart to their heart. Explode inside them. Cause them, Lord, to get excited now about what lies before them. Father, we ask demolish every stronghold that would keep us in captivity, that would keep us in a wilderness mindset. But we say we commit to following you across the Jordan into the promised land. I'm asking, Father, do a miracle in our life. Change the way we think. Cause us to see with eyes of faith. I ask, Lord, raise up the pioneer spirit, Lord. Lord, for those that have felt weary or, Lord, even isolated because they've been pioneering and they feel like there's no one there. I thank you, Lord, that there's always two spies. There's always somebody that you've got to walk beside us. There's always partners, Lord, that would see what we see. So I pray for those that have felt isolated and alone, not just in this service, but those watching on YouTube YouTube in different countries, Lord, that feel like they've heard you speak. But there's no one around them, Lord, that gets what they're saying, hears what they're saying. Father, I thank you, Lord, that there is other spies that see with eyes of faith. Connect them, Lord, all around this country, all around this globe, Lord. Connect spies together that would come with a good report. Father, release your spirit in this time for pioneers to arise. We ask in Jesus' name. So would you lift your hands with me? Father, I pray right now that there would be an encounter with your spirit. Lord, as they raise their hands, may there be a deposit of the pioneer spirit that would come into their hearts. Cause them to see, enlarge them. Enlarge them, Lord. Enlarge them. Enlarge them. Even as you led the spies to Rahab, I pray for divine connections in their promised land, that you would connect them with the right people. Even this week, you begin to open doors, cause them to possess their land. In the name of Jesus.